Welcome to Too Smart for This, a podcast dedicated to knowing better and doing better for ourselves and others, hosted by me, Alexis Barber. In this show, we invite real people and experts to share their stories about how they navigate an ever-demanding society and talk about the personal decisions we make from career to health and wellness. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and happy Black History Month. My goal this month is to have on a bunch of incredible Black women, and we are starting that off with the wonderful Cam. Cam and I met at our Google internship last summer in 2019, and ever since, she has grown her Instagram to be an incredible resource for anyone who is looking to do anti-racism work, anyone who's interested in climate justice, and she has been such an amazing resource to thousands of people, but also just to me and I'm so grateful that we got to talk about everything that we've discussed, ranging from work to Instagram to boundaries to learning about yourself. And we had a really similar experience of growing up around primarily white people and having a recognition that we didn't have to stop. We didn't have to keep stifling ourselves for other people. And we wanted to share that with more people. And she's done it in such a great way that I think Um, has really helped us move the needle. And so I really hope you enjoy this and definitely um, share, like, record and follow Cam on Instagram. And I will hope you enjoy this episode. Okay. Welcome to this podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. And thank you so much for making time for me. Of course. Always happy to make time for you, Alexis. I'm glad. I'm glad. So um, if anyone who's following me doesn't know who you are already, could you like give us a background of like your like, I don't know, your bio, like tell me <laughs> who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. It can be as long or as short as you want. Yeah, for sure. I've like basically mas- mastered the spiel of like your like elevator pitch of who you are because I feel like I've had Queen to do it so of many marketing. times. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's actually probably from our internship together. I met Alexis, what is it, two years ago now? Um, I think so. Yeah, 2019 um, at our internship at Google and through all of the icebreakers and stuff, I nailed my pitch and it basically goes that I was um, a recent graduate at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I studied design and communication studies with a minor in information science. And after graduation, I started full-time in marketing at Google. And in my free time outside of work, I'm really passionate about social and climate justice and just really giving back to my community and utilizing my perspective as a Black woman and everything I've learned over the years to bring change to the world. And so that's that. there we go. <laughs> It's so good. Wow. You really Thank did you. master I it. a lot. <laughs> I'm glad. It's major. It's major. So um, I guess we'll start with like the things you do outside of work and then we can talk a little bit about our shared job as well. But what sort of brought you into building like an outside of work like Instagram that you have right now that obviously like serves as a vessel for a lot of your thoughts, but also like what got you into climate justice and social justice in the first place? I know most black people you're automatically into social justice, unfortunately, but like, what was like a big turning point for you? Yeah, I totally hear you about like, if you're already um, a black person, especially a black woman, you're already 
like your existence is social justice essentially. But I think last year, obviously, um, when COVID hit and people found a lot more free time on their hands or just a limitation to what they could do, they just started paying attention more and just sitting with their feelings a lot more. And I was one of those people where I just started having a lot of different thoughts and feelings and reflecting on my years in high school and college um, and just how I was treated and how I acted as a response. And I think as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, I reached a breaking point where I was just tired of settling for that and um, being treated in a way that I knew I didn't deserve. And so as always with our generation, I took to social media to vocalize that, um, which I understand is not everyone's way of coping with things, but just for me, I used my design and communication skills from college to start creating little um, like swipeable carousels with text on them and information and words and kind of in a storytelling format. And I don't know exactly which post went sort of viral, but just from those few posts that I started with, I just started gaining a following on Instagram. And it surprised me that people actually wanted to hear what I had to say and valued my opinion. And it kind of taught me that there's power in vulnerability. And I just was vulnerable and expressed myself authentically. And so that's kind of what started my journey with Public, publicly showing support for climate and social justice. Um, and we're still going strong today. So hopefully it will keep going for longer. Wow. I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, um, I guess both of us are sort of newer to this space of like having more of a following. And for me, it's been really frustrating. Like I should add you to my close friends because that's where I post like the trolls I get all the time. Just like saying like, BS. So for you, how has it been to like cope with with that? And like, what have you done to like sort of in control your mental health? Like as you've gained like a lot more followers, which comes with a lot more scrutiny. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think at the beginning, it was a lot more hard to manage. And I turned off comments, or at least I limited comments to people that I followed or something like that setting on Instagram because I was getting a lot of trolls who really just wanted to get a reaction out of you and intentionally um, oppose or invalidate your feelings. And so I was taking that, a lot of that personally, and I just had mm-hmm. to block comments and turn that off. Um, in terms of DMs, there's also settings where you can like limit who's able to put you in group messages and like DM you. So I just like really put a lot of restrictions on my Instagram so people can access my space so I could like protect my mental health and protect my energy. Um, So that was really helpful. And since then, I've released some of those restrictions because after a lot of conversations with like um, other activists and leaders that I've connected with online, I just realized that it's not a reflection of myself. It's a reflection of them. And oftentimes, well, actually, maybe not often, but sometimes it's actually an opportunity to call someone in and educate them and actually change their mindsets. And I've actually been able to talk to some of these people who weren't intentionally being trolls. They were actually like saying a viewpoint that they wholeheartedly believed in, but was completely inaccurate or incorrect. And having that conversation actually changed their minds. So I just kind of opened my mind to having these conversations while still protecting my space. And then if I know they're blatantly trolling or just very close-minded or willfully ignorant, then I just block them. So that's just kind of how I manage it now. Yeah, I think that's for sure how how you have to do it um for me it's like it's it's similar where it's very hard for me to like go ahead and just like block or get rid of someone in my dms because 
I just always want to like convince them otherwise, you know, and it's so hard to like to have that line of like, when are you calling someone in or when are you calling someone, you know, or you're pushing them out or when are they really ready to listen or not? So right. it's very, it's very interesting, but I think it's very inspiring how you've like set those boundaries, you know? Yeah. No, same for you though, because like, I think it's, we are similar in the sense, well, actually, I think we're similar in a lot of ways. I'll see your posts and stories. I'll be like, oh my God, did I write this or did I post this? I don't know. Um, But I think that like getting frustrated because you just want to be able to change people and make people see what's going on and how they can help and how they can be better is such an intrinsic quality that is rooted in like wanting the best for people and like I don't think that's a fault mm-hmm. of our own. And like I said earlier, like realizing that people's behaviors isn't, it doesn't have to do with you. It's a reflection of them and their life. And sometimes all you can do is like try to initiate that conversation. If they're not receptive to it, then like that's all you can do. So I totally hear so you with kind of wanting to have those conversations and getting like feeling um, like responsible to have them. So you're like hesitant to block and stuff. But I think protecting your space is more important. Totally. And I think of, if anything, 2020 is definitely, I think what comes with growing a follower is growing a understanding of boundaries, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's hard because like for me, a, a lot, a lot, a big part of my experience was like going from being like very insecure into like learning self-love and self-confidence over like the course of the pandemic, but which makes it very even harder, I think, sometimes to have like other people's opinions in my space. So setting boundaries mm-hmm. is super important. Um, yeah. But I also want to talk about like how you grew up and what where like your passion for climate justice came from. Yeah. So growing up, I will say that I was not the most environmentally conscious teenager or child. Um, you know, my parents in their generation tend to not prioritize climate justice just from trends and patterns that I've noticed. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a priority in my household. Um, and I think I really started to dive into climate justice and being more aware of how my actions affected the environment in college and specifically my roommate. Um, she, her name is Asta. She lives in California and her parents um, kind of raised her in a way of like, growing their own vegetables like in their garden they have compost and like I just yeah, learned all very these, California very California yeah if you like look at the look at the trend of people who live in California um so she kind of brought those ideologies and habits and thoughts when we roomed together in college so I kind of started learning about them from her um and then as it evolved I think just our generation is really passionate about you know climate change obviously um and I think that I don't want to say I hopped on the bandwagon because that's being more of a follower instead of a leader. But I will admit that sometimes hopping on the bandwagon and following trends can be a good thing, especially as it pertains to climate justice, because you might have initially hopped on just to like follow everyone else. But the output of that is beneficial to everyone and like the earth. So I don't really see anything bad with that. Exactly. Um, Totally with you there. (laughs) Yeah. So for your, you, what have been some like changes I guess you've made in terms of that like I guess other people can make that made it easier for you to like I guess get into this or was it more learning more about the future of climate change that sort of like got you into this? 
Yeah, no, I've made a lot of changes since I originally started getting more into the climate justice space. One is definitely the educational aspect. So like um, signing up for courses, like obviously I'm not in university anymore. So now through like Google, I don't know if you know that they have some of the sustainability tip groups and climate talks. They're amazing. So like signing up for educational purposes to like participate in climate talks and conversations and newsletters that give you sustainability tips and following a bunch of other climate justice activists on um, social media. So just I can keep learning because I'm not an expert. There's so much I don't know about like clean energy and like regenerative agriculture. Like there's so much I want to learn. Um, So I think, but I think that gives people the potential to get overwhelmed when there's so much about, you know, climate justice that you can learn about people get stressed and end up not doing anything. So I start small and I just tried to, prioritize one, my consumption um, in terms of what brands I support and what I was actually um, buying. So I always do kind of like a mini audit of brands before I'm purchasing something to make sure that they're, you know, trying to reduce plastic waste. Um, They don't have like packing peanuts in their shipping, like just small things. And also just holistically looking at their stance on climate justice so that I can make sure I'm supporting the right brands. And then just items wise, not buying things that I know I'll only use once or, you know, won't have a long life with me um, if it's recyclable and stuff like that and like trying to reduce plastic waste and everything like that. That's amazing. I think that's a very humble and smart way to put it, to not be overwhelmed by it, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. I think um, when people, there's sometimes like a you know how like veganism, for example, like some people have like a bad rap of it because of like the way people push it on others. But mm-hmm. in reality, like just taking a first step is is a big step that can help so many people, including like yourself, but also like mm-hmm. the future of our whole generation. So exactly. And like with veganism, um, I think like a lot of people, yeah, there's this culture around like a superior superiority complex of like Mm -hmm. people saying like oh I'm vegan and if you're not like I'm looking down at you but that's really not the case and I think even if I'm not vegan personally but I'm hopefully going to achieve that in the future but if you just like cut out one thing at a time and like say like I'm gonna only have red meat like twice a month Mm -hmm. for the next five months until I can cut out red meat entirely and then move to cutting out poultry entirely and only have seafood as meat like baby steps is better than nothing and like I know a lot of people who like live a vegan lifestyle who totally support that and they're not like looking down at you because you're like doing small steps. So exactly. Cause if it's one thing that's like good for everybody, like just take those small steps and it'll definitely mm-hmm. work. But most important is holding brands accountable, like you said, because of course, like the larger corporations as well as like the larger like infrastructure that we have like going on right now is something that we also need to like think more critically about like when we have the means to as to like what we support and what we don't support both when it comes to like climate justice of course but also when it comes to like racial justice too so have you like seen anything interesting or like frustrating in that space too yeah definitely like in terms of like brands um yeah, like performative. It's oh, yes, yes. I don't know if you saw my um like questionnaire that I send to brands before partnering with them. Um, but I did, and yeah. you know what? Let me send that to a few of the emails I got in my inbox. Right <laughs> Please do. I think it's really helpful because sometimes I've literally gotten 
I remember this one brand who reached out and was like, oh, we'd love to do a partnership. Like, we love the work that you do. And we're super committed to, you know, social uh, justice and racial equality. I was like, yeah, like, I love like your products. Like, do you just mind answering this questionnaire? And then they like looked at it and were just like, actually, we just don't think this is a good fit at this time. What? I was like, oh, can, can you like explain why? Like, it, it's not that long. It probably could take you like two minutes. Um, mm-hmm. They were just like, yeah, we just found that some of the questions were a little um, like, what was the word? Like accusatory or something. And if you literally look at it, it's like, do you have a sustainability report available? How is your <sighs> provided for the Black Lives Matter movement? And like, how are you committed to fair and equitable like be like treatment towards your employees like those are like three of the questions and I was like so confused so it just goes to show that like brands are reaching out to these um black creators online to like show that they're trying and like get those black creators like to represent their company so it looks like they're trying but they're like they're not doing the work internally and behind the scenes and if you can't answer a simple 10 question questionnaire that's just like so telling and there's like more brands than I would like to admit that have like responded that way that is wild but not really surprising at all I think that the like performativeness of it is so frustrating because I've I've had so many brands reach out to me right and I always and like asking me to like do posts in exchange for like free for like gifted um, Mm -hmm. products and I always say like, no, like I have a very high engagement rate, like for my, um, for my size, like I actually charge this amount. I can't guarantee a post for you without a contract, unfortunately. And I've literally only had like one brand deal since because no one will like meet that, you know, standard of like paying black creators to like do anything. Meanwhile, there's like tons of like white women who are out here like making like a living at the same size of following as me. So it's super frustrating, I think, to be a black creator in general. And another thing you touched on in your Instagram was the fact that like we only really get a chance to grow our following when some massive issue or trauma takes place in the country. Exactly. Yeah. I one, I'm proud of you for like sticking your ground and like not accepting free product because there's only so much a free like, you know, bottle of perfume can get us. It's like, no, you need to pay black creators for their work and their time. Um, I can't do anything with five bottles of perfume Um, except, you know, smell good. But that's not the point. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But yeah, to your point about like only having the opportunity to like get exposure and really grow our accounts and get our voice heard is on these like black holidays and like um traumas that happen like if there's a news article or something big in the news about an- yet another black man being killed at the hands of police brutality then you like get a spike in engagement and followers because you post about it or just even on like martin luther king jr day or juneteenth it's just like people actively seek out black creators and leaders online only on those days um and to them, that's practicing allyship and putting in the work. But I think people really need to realize that this work is intersectional and it's like every day, everywhere, and it shouldn't be limited to like certain days, you know? Exactly. It's And that's the thing is it's the idea of like following a black person is, is, is not like the deep activism that you like think it is all the time, um, but it is something that like you shouldn't just do because it's, oh, these are my favorite black creators. It's Martin Luther King Day. Like, let's follow them. It's just like a very, 
it's very uncomfortable, I think, a lot of times, especially because I don't know if, if this is true or not, but I just feel like even when I follow like a bunch of black people, their content is the, like gets pushed to the bottom of my pages or my stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like algorithmic bias that's generated from these tech companies like Instagram, where, you know, I'm obviously I don't I'm not a computer science um, specialist or software developer, but I do know that algorithms are developed by humans and humans have bias. So obviously some of that bias mm-hmm. is going to seep into the algorithms. So content and people are going to be um, pushed down in that algorithm. So even if you follow them, that doesn't mean you're going to see their content. Like you can put push notifications on, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to, and you can mm-hmm. share it to your story, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to click on it and follow their account or see their account. So there's a lot of intricacies about it that yeah. is hard to navigate. It's definitely tough. And then I guess as a creator yourself of content, like I've personally found like a lot of pressure that I'm either putting on myself or um, I guess just from Instagram itself to like produce a lot of content or like just, you know, continue to engage and do all this stuff, but it's also mentally taxing as well so for you does it feel more like something that you're passionate about so you don't really get tired of it or is it something you definitely like have to set boundaries around um, when it comes to like interacting with people on Instagram but also creating that content because I know it's like takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. yeah no it's I'm definitely not one of those people who um doesn't feel the pressure. I definitely feel a lot of pressure and I put that pressure on myself. No one else is kind of pushing it onto me. It's kind of just imagined in my head because I feel like when I don't post for like two days, I'm like, oh my God, everyone's staring at my page waiting for my next post. (laughs) I'm like, how narcissistic is that? That I think people are literally waiting for me to post. Um, But it's just this feeling like this discomfort where I'm like, I need to make my next post. I need to create this content to keep educating or I just feel like my values decreasing or people don't mm-hmm. like want to listen to me anymore. So it's just this constant pressure. And I know this is for not just like activism work, but just all content creators on YouTube, Instagram, like all these different platforms just feel this constant pressure to keep creating or they'll like become irrelevant or like their voice will lose value. And that's not true. It just really feels that way. And so I recently went on like a three-week detox um, over the holidays where I deactivated Instagram because people are like, oh, just delete it from your phone, like, you know, delete the app and log out and stuff. I'm like, that's not enough because it still exists. Like, my page is still up. People can still, like, go to it, message me, unfollow me, follow me. Like, I just needed to completely remove myself from the Instagram space because I that pressure was becoming too much. And so deactivating it. Um, really, really helped um, just over the course of that three weeks so I could reground myself and just like reassess my priorities and what I want my relationship with Instagram to be like. Yeah, that's definitely a, a move, I would say. Like being able to, I think also you said in the beginning, and this is sort of how your Instagram even came to be, was through that self-reflection that was also like forced upon us a little bit, but it was also something that we have to continue to like bring into our lives intentionally as things start to like ramp up, you know? Um, So like in terms of your, like, I guess a question I like to ask a lot is like, 
what is the most life-changing thing you learned this year or even in 2020? I guess it's been like almost a year since the pandemic really started to like become a part of our lives. So what's the most life-changing thing that's like come come to be but also like mentally changed for you? Yeah, I think kind of coming full circle, I think to what I talked about at the beginning was just like there's power in vulnerability. I think specifically emotional vulnerability because that for me changed my life this past year. Um, Just allowing myself to be vulnerable and authentic online really just changed the course of like my, what my passions were and how I wanted to activate those passions and involve them in my everyday life. Um, And there's this like one quote from Brene Brown. Do you know Brene Brene Brown? Uh, Obviously obsessed with Brene Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the power of vulnerability is like a book of hers and I haven't read it yet, but because of what I'm talking about, I think it would really resonate with me to read that because we like tend to associate vulnerability with like negative emotions and things we want to avoid. Like, um, especially as like black women when we're supposed to be so strong. Exactly. So we're just like, Oh, there's the black girl magic, strong black woman, like, um, idea. And so embracing vulnerability is kind of scary. Um, but I think we need to think of vulnerability as like, allowing us to release certain emotions and create space for other emotions like peace, like love, joy, belonging, all of those things. Um, So that was a huge life lesson I learned this past year. And I think that a lot of people should, you know, tap into that. Right. Of course. I mean, so how were you sort of operating before that time? Like, would you just like never really be vulnerable with people or would it take or is it more of just like the fact that you can do it publicly and that it helps people is the big takeaway there? Yeah, I definitely was always very expressive of my emotions to those closest to me, like my partner, my parents and family, like my closest friends. But on, I think, Instagram specifically and social media, I, like a lot of others, I presume still do this, wanted to create or curate this life that I was like having an amazing time. I was like always happy. I would only post pictures that I looked fabulous in. And like, Mm -hmm. I would never say if I like my stories were so superficial and like artificial. I didn't say when I was anxious or, you know, struggling with something. Um, So that's kind of how I was operating on a consistent basis before this kind of, I don't even want to say awakening because it wasn't a particular moment, but like after I kind of changed my mindset um, and it just really wasn't working for me. It was just like, I was obsessed with what others thought about my life. And at that point I had like 900 followers um, and I just like was faking everything. It just wasn't authentic. It wasn't being vulnerable. I just only, it was kind of toxic positivity if I'm being honest, because I would just be like, oh, everything's fine, love and light only, like all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So it definitely was not much fun. Right. There's so much rooted in that too of like being a woman, you're expected to sort of be happy all the time. Being a black woman, you're expected to be strong all the time. So in in all honesty, like being vulnerable is such a like a radical act in a lot of ways as a black woman. Um, And but it can also for me, sometimes I still have to like let go of the idea that it's not like a failure um, in a way because as like both of us have grown up, we went to great schools and we got this great job. So like everything should be okay, you know? And Mm -hmm. so we have to like let go of this idea of like it's not always going to be fine. So like 
did you deal with any sort of like perfectionism that came with that toxic positivity mindset that you might have been living in? Oh, 100%. I still struggle with perfectionism. Um, Even like seeing your uh, posts of like the spreadsheets and like the journaling that you do and how you organize your day. I like so I I resonate with that so hard. And I want to like, have every part of my life be perfect and organized. And so I like you sent me the spreadsheet. And I was actually talking Mm -hmm. to my therapist about this last weekend. She's like, what if you like, didn't try to use the spreadsheets and Mm -hmm. organize your life and like have everything be perfectly neat and organized and stuff. And I was like, but I really want to, like, you should look at them. They're so pretty, like all the templates that you have. <laughs> and I probably will use them. Like, um, you know, it's just like a little exercise to try and break some of that perfectionism. Um, but it's definitely rooted. It's, it's deeply rooted. So it'll take a while to release some of that perfectionist tendency, tendencies. Totally. I mean, like for me, it's, it's definitely a, my, my therapist was like, so you love planning. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, have you ever considered that that might be anxiety? And I was like, this is my only thing that I have is I like to plan and organize things. So can we not get rid of it? Um, But it's definitely truly like there is, there's ways that it can, anything can become toxic and organization itself can too. But it's such a good exercise to be like, what if I don't have to have control over everything? Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, I I totally I totally agree with that, and I think like anxious behaviors can present themselves in a lot of different ways, and it could be like obsessively organizing and you know making sure everything's perfect, but it also couldn't. Like some people just like being organized, and it's not a result of an anxious behavior. Um, so I think it's just being in tune with your intentions and Listening like to yourself. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Totally. It's um. Very nice that I guess over the course of the last year, we've had time to like listen to ourselves more um, and understand like where we're all coming from and like what we value and what we don't value. So both of us started work obviously this year um, on September 8th. How has that been for you? I'm going to be honest. It's been pretty difficult. I think I speak for a lot of people when I say work from home has been um, unexpected and kind of difficult to manage, which I am kind of surprised about because I'm completely an introvert. So I love being alone. I love staying in my pajamas all day and staying in my bed and not having to talk to people in person. Um, so I thought it would be, you know, like a dream to just stay at home and work from home. But mm-hmm. it's actually like a lot harder because I do crave some of that human connection and also digital fatigue of like being in meetings virtually all day is like super draining um and you know yeah it's just been a little difficult in that aspect but I also want to like acknowledge that I'm super super blessed to have this job because I know that unemployment has been huge across the world this past year but just in general as well so I think that there's a certain privilege with having such a secure job right now so true I definitely think our we are probably some of the luckiest people with our job especially mm-hmm. considering we graduated into a pandemic and we're like lucky enough to keep everything pretty similar but mm-hmm. I am with you um where I do crave more of like a situation where I can be around people for excuse me like where I can be around people and go to lunch and like um I just feel like it's kind of it's harder for us to figure out what we want or what we're good at or like learn things because we don't have the 
social interactions that are like organic where we can like learn more of like the political parts of stuff or like what's really possible. So it's very, it's super interesting to have, to have started in a pandemic and I'm very lucky. We're very lucky to have done so, but it's been a really weird time too. Yeah. Especially cause our, like our internship was so fun. Like I was just, amazing. our cohort is filled with incredible people and just like being able to experience the Bay area with people with like like-minded individuals um and talented people and just like obviously experience um our first time at google it was just like so amazing so then that juxtaposed with like working starting and onboarding remotely was just so different than expected um so it's definitely right. a transition but i think i am looking forward to when offices open back up and we can actually meet our team and managers in person I know. I can't believe I like have never seen my manager in person. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So it's really crazy. But I mean, I, do, I, I am grateful for what we ate for the some parts of work from home. Um, but I'm like great. Like I feel like I thrive when I'm around people, but I need like a lot of time alone in order to like get to that place, you know? Exactly. So, um, hopefully it'll, I'm, I'm storing it all up and I'll be able to go give it to everybody as soon as we can go back to the office yeah you're saving it up so we're, we're just gonna be full of energy when we're finally around people again yes, a social butterfly yeah <laughs> we're gonna be like what is wrong with alexis and cam why are they exactly so they will up? not shut up it's crazy <laughs> it's too crazy so um i have a few more questions for you so what is one piece of content that you've created on your like profile that you feel like everyone should definitely take a look at if they want to understand what you're all about oh boy that's a good one um I have to like scroll back through my Instagram what's funny also is when we're talking about perfectionism I've archived or deleted so many of my posts over the past year because that's I've like same. changed my theme or like whatever so the cohesive tendency and perfectionist tendencies of like curating a social media feed is still there that I'm struggling with so there might be some that I'm missing that are no longer on my page. But one that I really resonated with was like this post titled, I think we all have influence. Um, and it kind of just goes over how people think influence means what we've associated with the term influencer. So like having, you know, 10,000 plus or 100K plus followers, people who um, have high visibility, like celebrities or politicians, like they think they associate that with influence but like every single person on this earth has influence whether it's with the interaction they have with a cashier at a grocery store to like how they raise their children to how they communicate with their coworkers. like you're in influencing someone with every word you say and every like action you take so Truly. I think people people don't realize that and I think that's kind of what I've embraced is just trying to utilize my influence in ways that serve me and others um, in beneficial ways. And I think that everyone should realize that for themselves. So it kind of just embraces what like my viewpoint on social media, but also just how you live your life in general and just like how I choose to portray myself online. I think that that's a pretty helpful post. I think that's a really good, a really good way to put it because I feel like a lot of people don't like or who are like, oh, I don't want to get political, think that like their voice or opinion on the matter either doesn't matter or that they are not really willing to be held accountable for whatever happens next or like just don't want to get into it. And that's such a massive privilege that like 
it's very important to come back down to earth and recognize that like think about it like maybe you bought this water bottle and like your sister bought it too like that's influence in us if you need it like written out in like a commerce form but like in reality everybody has so much influence around those they love those who just like maybe the random girl who follows you that was in your kindergarten class you know Mm -hmm. exactly so it's super it's I think that's a really good post to go to but you have so much incredible content on your page like that's massively important and aesthetically pleasing which of course I appreciate as a (laughs) but obviously goes a lot deeper. And I think it's really amazing that you're helping this many people. Like, do you feel like your audience is more of like um, like a white base? <laughs> just to, That's just my, <laughs> my real question. Or do you yeah. feel like it's also coming from like black people who want to be able to share your content to call more people in? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And like, obviously, there's certain demographics in my insights, like on Instagram that I can see, like where people are mm-hmm. from the states and what states and like, um, male or female, which I think they should update to say, you know, the whole spectrum of gender identification. But um, I, I think at the beginning, it was a primarily non black audience, because I could see like the people who are sharing would say like, I need to do better with this. And like, I like didn't know this as a white person, blah, blah, blah. Like I could see those trends in the comments and mm. what people would caption with it when they shared it. Um, so that's just like what my insight is to what type of people were following me at first. But now I've connected with so many black creators who like we mutually share each other's content. So And I think that helps expose me to like their black audiences. So I think now it's like a healthy mix of like people from Mm. all different backgrounds, just with the people who comment and message me. And so I think it's a, it's, you know, very widespread, which I'm happy about. I love that. I really want to diversify my like creator friends on Instagram as well. Yeah. Oh my God. No, I'll totally, I'll post in some group chats. It'll be great. It'll be great. So fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my, uh, a similar thing to you after the last year of like in June, when you just realize like you're not going to be treated like horribly anymore, you know? And Mm -hmm. then you look back and you're like, wow, I was really like changing myself to fit in with all of these white people. And I just like made a very big promise to myself to like really focus on fostering my relationships with the black women around me because black women like never fail me, you know, like it's a, it's such a beautiful community. And like, I just don't, I don't have time to like force feed these other relationships that might not necessarily be natural to me. A lot of relationships are natural to me with certain white people, but I didn't need to force the other ones to like feel worthy. Yeah. Did you grow up in either in high school or um, college with a predominantly white friend group or is that something that's like more recent? So I would say um, elementary school. So I'm mixed and my white family is conservative like Trump supporters. Um, which does not bode well for anybody. But, and so like I grew up with my white family raising me and then I went to black elementary school and then a predominantly Asian high school, um, Jewish summer camp, and then Northwestern, which was predominantly white. So it's been pretty diverse, but never, um, at least in my adult life, never predominantly black. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think, well, no, my uh, upbringing wasn't nearly as diverse as, as yours. So that's super like interesting to hear. 
Um, mine was a predominantly white town for elementary, middle school, and high school. Um, mm. And I think actually, like, the Google internship was really when I started, like, hanging out with Black friends and having really close yeah. Black friends, which... And it know, was in San Francisco, isn't that funny? Yeah, exactly. Like, it wasn't even, like, Oakland. It was literally, like, right smack dab in the middle of San Francisco. But, um, yeah, it was just, like, really amazing to build that community and be a part of that community now too um Mm -hmm. so I think that was really essential in just like figuring out the types of people I need to surround myself with and who can resonate with what I'm feeling so Mm -hmm. it's it's so important I mean feeling like you can be around people who understand what you are going through was something I I just hadn't had for so many years you know Mm -hmm. It's like I didn't realize that other people like were having the same experience as me. And like it's – that's really – it's such a beautiful feeling to know that like you're not like alone in how you're feeling all the time. And like of course we weren't alone. Like we knew that in our heads but like not when we could really like connect with others. Exactly. Yeah. I think it is like just so essential to have those people that truly understand what you're going through instead of just trying to understand what you're going through if that makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, I definitely want to be mindful of all of our time. So um, to a few last questions. One is what is one resource that has really helped you learn or grow exponentially? That's a really good question because I really, I really don't want to say Instagram (laughs) because I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram, but it's so resourceful when you are using it intentionally and like, mm. like you're just being aware. And I've been able to make so many incredible connections through Instagram. Like I have FaceTimes and like video calls with people I've literally never met in person just because we connected on Instagram. Um, and then I've learned so much about climate justice through reels and um, like different carousel infographics and IGTVs. So it's just like been a really invaluable resource to me. And I kind of wish that it was wasn't on Instagram. <laughs> like I wish all yeah. of this these connections and information everything was on just like something else that wasn't moderated and owned by Facebook and it would be even better if it was like an in-person experience rather than like a digital oh, resource. Really? So, yes, it's 100% so frustrating I think to know how these algorithms and everything sort of play into it. But you're right. Like when you're using this intentionally and, and I don't want to say correctly, but like in line with what you you really want instead of like getting into content that can be potentially harmful, it can be so informative and helpful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's great. It's great. Um, any particular follows that you want to call out? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I follow so many, so many cool people. Um, Green Girl Leah, I don't know if you follow her, but she's incredible. Um, she founded Intersectional Environmentalist, which is like a community and resource hub that explores the intersections of like social and environmental justice. Um, Mm -hmm. so she's one of the founders and she's also just an amazing, amazing black woman. Um, so I would definitely follow her. Another favorite of mine is Marie Beach. She used to be Mm -hmm. Waste Free Marie, I think if I'm remembering her old username um correctly but she's an anti-racist educator and she's just a truly incredible person as well that focuses on social and climate justice um more so in the social space and Mm -hmm. I think she's just like a really 
a really good resource, but on her Instagram, but just an amazing person too. And I think that people should realize also that these pages are great for information and learning more, but like you should also want to see their joy and like their, their personality and just their being as a person Mm -hmm. instead of just utilizing their page to like benefit you. You know what I mean? Wow. That's such a beautiful way to put it because I feel like personally I get worried that if I'm not sharing like valuable or resourceful, helpful content that like my page is not worthy, but in it, but like that really takes it to another level, you know, like yeah. seeing even all these black women who are anti-racist educators, just seeing them be happy is a massive help in people who are not surrounded by black people or never have been. Exactly. And I totally feel you with feeling like if you don't post something that's providing value to others, then it's like irrelevant or people won't connect with it, which is like internalized views of society that are like ingrained in our mind and mm-hmm. it's even reflected in engagement right like I'll post a selfie or something like if it's like my coffee cup and I just want to say like hey good morning I really liked my coffee today and posted it I would mm-hmm. probably get a 70% decrease in engagement and I don't want to like inflate vanity metrics as a means of like value but it's just showing like people it's like kind of so implying hard. Yeah, it's implying that people don't care about, you know, your day-to-day life and stuff unless you're providing this content that's, like, educating them and that they can benefit from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so much of it is free. Like, you spend, I'm sure, hours and hours a week, like, doing this work for people. When Or for me, it's, like, one conversation that I'm trying to have with, like, a Trump supporter to, like, bring them into, the like, the light. I can't do because it's just so much time and so much mental energy that – Sometimes you just want to like exist without needing to provide for other people's like benefit. Right. Yeah. You said like literally hit the nail on the head. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's really crazy. But that aside, um, I have some end of the episode rapid fire questions that I do with everybody. So do you want to take part in that? Oh boy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. Um, all right. So the first one is – Appetizers or dessert? Um, dessert. Love that for you. What's your favorite dessert? I think just I'm a basic, you know, chocolate chip cookie kind of gal with some milk. So good. Go to. <laughs> it's necessary. Okay. Instagram or TikTok? Oh, Instagram. I don't even have TikTok. <laughs> oh my god! No way. You don't have TikTok? No, I know. That's I'm like one of the very few 23 year olds without a TikTok, but like I just never. I can never. Yeah, I was not into it for a while, but obviously, of course, once that algorithm starts working and knowing who you are, you are done for at that point. Oh boy, don't get me into TikTok. Oh no, you. I don't. I for for your productivity, I will leave it. I will not. (laughs) Um, Favorite TV show of all time. Oh, easy. Avatar: The Last Airbender. Same. Oh my god. Oh my Except god. for it's tied with Mad Men because I love Mad Men, but literally, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. it's just so good. It's it's incredible, and it has so many valuable life lessons. Like I'm, right? I'm surprised when people ha- say they haven't seen it. I don't like know how you well watch as an yet. adult. It's so good. Yes, too. it's so good. And like, yeah, they came out with Cora, and I like it, but it's still I like the it. Avatar for me. Yeah, Avatar is definitely better. I like Korra though. I did watch all of it. Like, and I'm I've I rewatched like two years ago with my boyfriend to get him to watch it, and then I rewatched when it came back on 
um, Netflix. And like, I'm not even joking. Like half of my life has been dedicated to like mentally casting <laughs> a live live action version of this because I want them to do one. <laughs> it's like, I, I think about that all the time. Oh yeah, 100%. I think you should probably star in it if I'm... You know what? <laughs> you know what? Maybe, you know what? 12-year-old me would be honored. <laughs> I love it. Okay, do you have a favorite podcast? Oh my God, should I say yours? <laughs> um, you know what? If you want to, but if there's a be- if there's other ones that have helped you or that you just okay. like. Well, this is like definitely my favorite podcast episode because I've loved talking to you. And I think Too Smart oh. for This is an amazing podcast. Um, I think my go-to is Balanced Black Girl. I don't know. Oh, I have listened to that one. It just like... To- it really just gets me balanced, like the title said. Um, Let me see it. They're yeah. great. They're great. Um, okay. Most important self-care practice. Ooh, I've recently tried to re-identify or like redetermine what self-care actually looks like for me because I used to equate it with like taking a bath having dessert going to like a luxury hotel like doing things that Mm. I don't know if they were actually serving me and if it was more like self-indulgence um so I think my most important self-care practice is eating because I forget to eat because I'm so anxious or stressed and it's not nourishing my body and it's not serving Mm. me so like when I practice self-care I like make sure I'm drinking enough water and like nourishing my body on a consistent basis. That's such a good, important point of like differentiating self-care from self-indulgence while also noting that self-care looks different for everybody. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like in your case, for you, it's like ensuring you are nourishing your body and drinking enough water and like that's enough. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's important. Okay. The final question is, Finish this sentence with something you want young people to know. You're too smart for. Mm. I think what something I would want to hear when I was younger, at least, was you're too smart for external validation. Um, I I'm think, so with you on that. Yeah, I think it's just in our day and age with technology and social media and just our generation constantly being online, it's easy to fall into the trap of needing external validation and approval to accept ourselves. And um, I think that's something I'm still, you know, battling with, but, you know, you're just, we're all too smart for that. We need to trust in ourselves and be able to validate ourselves and our feelings. So. So true. Internal validation is the future and it's really the only way. So (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. And I was so happy that we got to chat and I will make sure everybody has the link to your socials and thank you again. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thank you so much for listening to the Too Smart for This podcast. Be sure to leave a review if you liked it. It takes two seconds. And follow the show on Instagram at Too Smart for This Pod. Check back every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes. And make sure to follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Alexis Barber for more content about lifestyle, health, and career. And don't forget, you're too smart to not love yourself.